You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. The Bible is extremely clear in its intent that it is God's Word revealed to humanity. It is the one book that contains God's purpose with the earth and the future hope for all people. Yet with its clear intent, there are hundreds of different church groups around the world that have different interpretations, different messages for that hope, and different ways that we achieve that hope. How then can we understand why these divisions are there, why there's many churches, and can we understand the truth of the Bible, God's message? We'll explore that this evening in four parts. We will look at the fact that there is only one Bible truth. There is not many different options, and it really does matter to both God and to our hope for the future that we understand that one truth. We're going to look at a Bible's perspective of why there's so many divisions. So many divisions among different church groups, among the world in their view of God, in their view of the hope for the future. And we're going to examine for ourselves, again from a Bible base, how we can test and find what that one truth is from the Bible. There are things in the Bible that clearly give us an indication that it is our duty and honour to be able to search out God's word, to be able to understand for ourselves the truth that it contains. And as a final example, we will look at the reward for believers in the Bible, a reward for believers in God. And we'll look at what the Bible says. And we'll use those principles that we have examined in the first three sections to test how to understand the Bible, how to understand what God's word is and show what the Bible offers as a reward for us. The fact that there is one truth and only one truth is evident from Paul's writings to the Ephesians. So if you turn up with me, Ephesians chapter 4, we'll see that Paul, one of the followers of Jesus Christ, one of the main writers of the New Testament, had a lot to say to the believers in his time about faith in Jesus Christ, about belief in God, and about the way that they should understand Scripture. Which, when we use the word Scripture, we mean the whole of the Bible. He said, I want you to understand one thing. This he wrote to a group of believers in Ephesus. Hence, the title of the letter was the Ephesians. And so Ephesians chapter 4, and if we look at verse 4 to 6, Paul says, there is one body, One group of believers and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope 
of your calling. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Paul's emphasis in this verse is quite clear. There is only one faith. There is only one hope that you've been called to. And he was at pains to make sure that the Ephesians understood that there was one faith. He also emphasized it to another group of believers in Galatia, in Galatians, and went even further to say that one faith is not just a, an ideal, that it would be nice if everyone believed the same thing, but he said it was so vital to their hope for the future that he was, he was disappointed that they'd had moved from the one faith. Let's go across to Galatians chapter 1. A few books earlier than Ephesians. In Galatians chapter 1. And again, Paul is writing to these believers to explain to them that the one faith... This one truth of the gospel, the one truth of the Bible, is important for us to understand. It is vital for our salvation in the future, our hope for the future. And as he's writing to these group of believers in Galatia, he says in verse 6, he says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. That word gospel is, is the Greek word good news. The good news that God has for us in his Bible. He says, I'm, I'm astounded. I marvel that you've moved away from the truth that you've been called to to another gospel, this other gospel. He says, it's not another gospel. Let me make that really clear, Paul says to the Galatians, that it's not another form of truth there's not optionality when it comes to understanding the bible he says it's not another but there's some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of christ and he says but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which you've received that which we preached to you at the start then let him be accursed he said that's how vital it is to understand that there is only one truth of the Bible. That Paul was so ashamed that there was other people perverting the gospel of Christ that he said that they should be accursed. And he repeats that in the next verse, in verse 8, um, where he, he talks about the fact that, again, I say unto you, if anyone preaches any other gospel, then they should be accursed. That's a pretty big challenge from Paul, the apostle. It's a big challenge to the hundreds of denominations of Christians who claim that they believe in the Bible, that if they are preaching something different from the church down the road, then there is a possibility that they end up in this camp of preaching another gospel and being accursed. How do we tell what the truth is? If you looked on the websites of 
many different church denominations, they will all claim to be believers in the Bible. They all claim that the Bible is their source of truth for their doctrines. And yet they differ. They differ on how salvation is achieved, whether it's by faith, whether it's by works, whether it's a combination of the two. They differ on the reward for the faithful. They differ on many different doctrines. So how can we tell which one is the truth? There is a fundamental principle that's recorded in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 8. Come across to Isaiah, chapter 8, and at verse 20. Isaiah was a prophet in the southern part of Israel. He was in the time of the kings of of Israel, when Israel was established as a kingdom, and particularly to the kingdom of Judah. And he took this message to the Jews of that time. There were many Jews that had different ideas of what God had in store for their nation, whether he would save them from the nations around them, whether he would actually establish them at long term in the faith and the truth of God. And so many in that time, prophets rose up and they were saying things to the nation, saying, this is what God has told us. This is what God has explained will happen in the future. And Isaiah was sent from God to give them a very clear message. And in verse 20, Isaiah said this to the people. He said, as you hear all of these messages from these people that propose that they are prophets of God, when you hear that message you need to be reminded of this one point. To the law and to the testimony. That's where you need to turn. You need to go back to the law of God, to God's word as recorded in the Bible. If those people that claim to be prophets speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. That was the message of God through Isaiah the prophet, to his people, Israel. It's the same message to us that's been recorded in the Bible. If whatever church group is out there claims to be showing you the word of God, which they all do, if they're not speaking according to what's written in the Bible, according to the law and the testimony, it means there is no light in them. Such a big challenge that is to everybody, I'd like you to take that same challenge to us presenting tonight. Whatever we say this evening needs to be tested against that same fundamental principle. I'm not here to deliver the Christadelphian view of the Bible. I'm here to tell you what the Bible has said. And if the things that we say tonight that are not according to this scripture, that means there's no light in us. If they're not according to the Bible, there's no light in them. And we're going to see examples of people that tested that and they were commended by that in the Bible themselves. So when you're listening, when you look at the things that we've said, go back to the Bible. Go and search its pages and test what we have said this evening. Because our words should be in line with what the Bible says. That's the fundamental principle when judging the doctrines and the offer of the gospel of God by any church group. 
Now, the Bible actually explains to us why there are so many divisions, why there are so many different denominations that claim to be speakers of God, that claim to show the truth of the Bible. Actually, explore some of them. There's two, really, two different camps that, that these people fall into. There's those that are willingly deceitful in their use of the word of God. We'll see some examples of that. Paul, again, if we, we go to Acts chapter 20 in the New Testament, the Acts or the Acts of the Apostles, as the book explains the preaching of the gospel by those that followed Christ after Christ's death and resurrection. And it shows how they went into all of the world to preach about the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And in Acts chapter 20, we have Paul visiting a group of these believers. It's actually his last visit. He knows that he won't get back there. He was going to die soon after that. He knew he wouldn't be able to visit them again. And he had a very sad message for this group of believers. In Acts chapter 20, as he's standing on a beach with these believers and saying his farewells, he says this to them. He says, for I know this, for we start from verse 29, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, not sparing this group of believers. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. His message to this group of elders of this group of believers was that after he left and he wouldn't see them again, that there was going to be people that came into that group of believers who were going to deliberately distort God's word. They were going to change the gospel of Christ. And they were going to do it for one major reason. For them, it was to draw away disciples after them. It was to gain notoriety. It was to gain fame. And this being a leader of, of a great group of people. And so as their pride got more and more, they would change the gospel of Christ so that they could get more followers. going to see that it's going to be very similar to the next where Paul has to write to another person, another believer and say there's people that are going to change the law of Christ so that they could actually appeal to the masses to become leaders among men, to actually exalt themselves above the law of God. And we see that in 2nd of Timothy and chapter 4 and verse 2 to 4. Paul again writing to this, this young believer, Timothy. He says that there is going to come a time when people would not endure sound doctrine. Does that mean a sort of a little bit old English? He says they won't endure sound doctrine. It means they're not going to listen to the clear doctrines as laid out in the Bible. 
They don't want to hear that anymore. It says, but after their own lusts, their own desires, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. And we see that the same result is achieved in the destruction of and the changing of the gospel of Christ. One, because the people that were leading those congregations, that were leading those believers, wanted the notoriety. They wanted more people to believe and accept, so they made the truth of God more palatable. And we also have the response on the hearers who went, we actually don't want to hear that. That's a little bit too hard for us. Let's get someone else that will tell us something that we like. And so they heaped to themselves different teachers that tell them something that they like, so they went, right, we'll, we'll have this to be the gospel of God because it makes us feel better about ourselves. And we want to make that really clear that the Bible was written, as we said, to show God's view of the world and his purpose for this earth. Now, this book was not written for people to make themselves feel good right, or to be a crutch that people can say, yes, at least I'm saved forever and I don't have to worry about being good, don't have to worry about how my life is. God wants us, in really clear terms, to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, to actually change our lives to be like him. And yet people, all the way through history, have denied that. They don't want to hear that they're actually not doing the right thing, being told that by God that they should be better, they should change, that they should look after others, that they should show love and kindness to anybody, no matter who they are. They don't want to hear that, so they have changed the message to suit themselves. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying you have people that corrupted the gospel of God to suit themselves, whether it's to gain a position of power and preeminence, or as the hearers, to feel more comfortable in the seat listening to the preacher up the front. Peter says that these people are false teachers. Second of Peter chapter 2. In this both... Peter and Paul were both very, very firm that these people were corrupting God's word. And they were doing it deliberately. In fact, this time it's not just for pride, this time it's for money. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 to 3, it says, But there were false prophets also among the people. So he's saying back in through all of history when people were teaching the word of God, there were false prophets. There were false prophets in Israel as we saw in Isaiah chapter 8 that Isaiah had to stand up against. And he says, even so, there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, things that will condemn them and condemn those that believe them, even denying the Lord that bought them. And in the continuation of that verse, he says, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. 
And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. And so here we have this other group of preachers that are going to corrupt the word of God so that they could make money off the believers. So that they could make a merchandise of those that wanted salvation. That wanted to understand the hope that God had given. You know the really sad thing about this, and it is true in this world more so than any other, is in verse 2 it said because of this, because of these people that have corrupted God's word, the truth shall be evil spoken of. Doesn't take much to search on the internet to find people that are willingly degrading of the Bible as a stupid book, as a book that was man-made. There is no such thing as a God. There's no purpose with the earth. It's all rubbish. And they do that because people have corrupted God's word. And they feel angry at those people that have done it so they could have pride and preeminence in the earth or that they could make money off people that were looking for something better in this life. And you can understand why they'd be angry. Paul and Peter were angry that people corrupted God's word, that changed God's word for their own purposes. And so you've got this reason as one of the reasons why there are so many divisions in the earth. And if you look back through the history of churches throughout the ages, you can see those thoughts and those actions flowing through that history. People that created doctrines to make merchandise and money off the congregations, to change their way so they could be more preeminent above all of the other people. Yet, not every church leader out there falls into this category. They're not all there teaching doctrines that are different to the Bible because of greed or because of pride. And the Bible is also cognizant of that, that there is a difference where people are unwillingly ignorant of what the truth is. We have one, I have a couple of examples, but one particular is the woman of Samaria. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke to a woman that lived just north of Jerusalem and she lived in this area called Samaria and they believed in God but they had different practices and different ideas of how God should be worshipped. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is, is sitting on this well and he starts to talk to this woman and as this conversation goes on, he tries to explain to her that she, while thinking that she believed in God, that she didn't actually understand, that she was ignorant of God's truth. In John chapter 4 and verse 22, in this context, Jesus says to her, you actually don't understand what you worship. 
You don't understand who you worship. So he says, you worship, you know not what. We understand true worship. We understand what we worship for salvation. The hope that comes to all people is of the Jews. It belongs to that Jewish faith. It belongs to the God of the Bible, that Jewish God. And so she was ignorant. She had to be brought to an understanding. And this same ignorance pervaded groups of believers that Paul had instructed and preached to. If we come across to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 and 11. understand that that Paul preached God's word to all of these different believers all the way throughout Asia Minor, all the way through Greece and he got to the point where he was writing to them again and even though they understood when he was preaching to them that they had changed things after he had left and he has to write them a letter again to say you did have the faith and you understood God but there's things that are creeping in because of your ignorance that you need to be instructed in. And it says, in verse 11, it says, For it have been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. There's, there's strife and there's divisions among you. Why? Because people said, in verse 12, every one of you saith, well, I got taught by Paul, and I understand this. Some say, well, there was this other man that was preaching. He was Apollos and he was mighty in understanding God's word. And well, we believe what he told us and, and we're really of him. Others said, well, Peter, he was one of the greatest apostles. We, we believe what he said. And they start to change things to because they did not understand that all of those apostles, all of those were teaching that one truth. And so Paul had to write back to them and say, you need to understand that there shouldn't be any divisions. There shouldn't be any changes. He says that in verse 10. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That was the hope of the Apostle Paul, that's what he instructed them in. And they didn't do that because they were ignorant and misunderstood things that they were told. And so you had these two groups, those that deliberately changed the word of God and those that were changing it through ignorance and misunderstanding. And that had caused divisions among the believers. And unfortunately, as that has gone on through centuries, since the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, since the time that we've received the written Bible, that that corruption and that change has been perpetrated through generation and generation. And so you do. You have hundreds of different groups all claiming to have one truth, one truth of the Bible, and yet they're different because of changes made throughout history. And changes that are still established today and for some of those same reasons, that people are willingly changing the word of God so that they could have preeminence and make money off the congregations, 
or those that misunderstand the word of God. So if we've got all of these different denominations, if we've got all of these challenges, then how is it that we can come to an understanding of God's word? The Bible lays out a few principles that were commended. And this is what I referenced earlier. If we come across to Acts chapter 17, again on the preaching of the gospel by the Apostle Paul, as he went out through all of these different cities, came to two particular cities, Thessalonica and Berea. And as he came through these cities, he was preaching to all of those that would hear, first to the Jews and then to anyone else that would listen about the kingdom of God and about Jesus Christ. And it says, just pick up on verse 2 in Acts chapter 17 and verse 2. It says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them to the Jewish synagogue, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Paul's practice when he was preaching about the things of God and the things concerning the name of Jesus Christ did so from the Bible. He turned up the Old Testament to the Jews and said, here's where the Lord Jesus Christ appears. Here's what it says about the kingdom of God. And he showed them from the scriptures the truth of God. Now Paul was selected by Jesus Christ. He was given the Holy Spirit by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was sent out as a particular apostle to preach to anybody that wasn't a Jew and bring them in to the hope of God. He was very important in God's purpose in spreading the message of the Bible throughout the whole world. And you might think that Paul in that position, given that authority by Jesus Christ and by God and given the Holy Spirit so that he understood the scriptures, that he might be able to quite comfortably say to all of those that listened, don't worry about reading your Bible, listen to what I'm saying because I've been given authority by God. And yet, every time he gets to a synagogue, when he preaches, he preaches from the scripture, from the Bible. And even to the point where in verse 10 to 12, it says this, that after he was in Thessalonica, it says, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, the next town, who when he came, went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, because of this process, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks and men, not a few. There was a lot of people that believed. What was their process? They listened to what Paul said. And then they went back home. They opened up their Bibles. And they looked in the Bible and said, 
is what Paul said in agreement with the God from God. Paul didn't get angry that he, being filled with the Holy Spirit, selected specifically by Jesus, that these people were testing his words. He says, no, these were more noble. They were brilliant in doing what they were doing. They commended because they heard what was being preached and they went back and they compared it with God's word in the Bible. That's what we need to do. We need to be able to hear what's being preached to us and we need to go back to the Bible and say, does that hold true? Does that agree with what we've been given in writing by God? Paul says that's commendable. Unfortunately, having the Bible as the only authority is not what a lot of church groups do. Holding the Bible as that single and only authoritative truth is not the measure of most churches. If you look at the Council of Trent, this was one of the greatest councils, ecumenical councils, which means a gathering of all church groups driven by the Catholic Church in response to the Reformation, where these other breakaway church denominations said the truth that is being told to us by the Catholic Church isn't in line with the Bible. That was the reformers' claim against and contention with the Catholic Church, that the Catholic Church did not agree with the Bible. And so the priests, the ministers all got together and said, we will hold this council. And one of the objectives was to discuss this claim about the authority of interpretation. The outcome was that the church's interpretation of the Bible was final. That whatever the Catholic Church said, that was the interpretation. It went even further to say that not just the Bible, but the church traditions that they had established over the years were of equal authority. You can see how immediately we're going to have contention. Equal authority. You can't have something that's equal authority with the Bible that differs. And they had a lot of things that differed to what the Bible said. But they claimed they were both of equal authority. So what they did is they went one step further in their signing off of the outcomes of this Council of Trent and they said that they forbid, under pains of excommunication, all unauthorised interpretation, reserving this for the Pope alone. The Pope was the only one that was allowed to interpret the Bible. that takes away all of the authority of the scripture, of God's word, and it also takes away the ability for those to go back home and test what was said against Bible, what God's word has declared. And so the church established themselves firmly as the only ones that could interpret. And if you read the Bible and it said something different, then you were going to be excommunicated. You had to accept the church's interpretation of the Bible. 
It's not just the Catholic Church that holds another authority alongside the Bible. Those of the, the Pentecostal faith, and this is a broad range of church groups, hold that the Scripture can only be interpreted by the intervention and the use of the Holy Spirit. And they're quite convinced and say quite clearly that although you as an unbeliever might be able to pick up and read the Bible yourself, you might be able to understand the words that it says, written in English or whatever language that you're reading it in, you might be able to read those words and understand the words, but the saving discernment, actually being able to understand what it means, the acceptance of what it means, and the application of God's word requires the Holy Spirit's work. And so if you've ever had a discussion on, on what the doctrines of the Bible are, if you read the Bible and it says one thing and they say something different, the fallback position is that the Holy Spirit has revealed to them what the Bible actually means and you cannot understand it if you read the Bible for yourself. Now Paul, we saw, was given the Holy Spirit by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And yet not once did he tell the Bereans to stop reading the Bible, accept what he had said to them with all authority of the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ. He actually commended them for going back and verifying what God had written in the scriptures. And that was the fundamental test of whether what Paul spoke was right or wrong. And so that needs to be the test that we lay to any doctrine that we hear. Does it agree with the Bible's message? This is a principle that was enjoined by Paul and by the Lord Jesus Christ. We already saw from Acts chapter 17 that Paul, his custom was when preaching about the gospel, preaching about the things of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, used scripture as his base. He used the Bible and he said, this is what the Bible says. Go and search it for yourself. Test what I've said. If what I've said doesn't agree with the Bible, then don't believe me. Believe the Bible. He reasoned from the scriptures the Lord Jesus Christ did the same thing. Let's come across to Matthew chapter 12. The Lord Jesus Christ who sent from God himself to show people the way of salvation said, have you never read in the scripture? Have you never read in your Bible that this is what God wants. That was his call to the Jews of his time, to actually go back and search what God had written, what God had revealed through his prophets and those men that wrote the scripture, wrote the Old Testament. And so when the Pharisees, those leaders of the day, tested him, as the disciples walked through the field and they, they picked grains of corn and they, the Pharisees came and said, you're doing something that's unlawful. You're doing something that God doesn't want you to do. This is a doctrine that they held 
very firmly that you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath day. If you did so, you would break the laws of God. You were going against what God wanted. Jesus says, well, they're not doing something wrong. He could have left it and said, I'm telling you that it's not wrong. And all authority has been given to me by the Father to say such things. They're not doing something wrong. But he called them to mind the Old Testament. He says, have you never read? And then first quotes from 1 Samuel chapter 21, giving the example of David eating the showbread. This bread that was particularly reserved for the priests and the priest's family. He said, David wasn't a priest. He ate the bread. He didn't break God's law. Then takes them back further to Leviticus 24 and says, well, actually, there's, there's things that are done on the Sabbath day all the time which don't break God's law. And then, quoting from one of the prophets, Hosea chapter 6 says, in fact, you don't understand what the doctrine of God is, that God wants mercy and not sacrifice. He wants us to actually show care and kindness and compassion to one another, not show ourselves to be more righteous than other people. And so the Lord Jesus Christ shows from the Old Testament, from Scripture itself, what the doctrines of God are. And you can look all the way through the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He quotes time and time again from God's Word, God's Scripture, the Old Testament, to show the doctrines that God has for us. Again, with all of the authority, he that was given the spirit beyond measure, beyond anyone else, did not fall back on that the only way that you can interpret scripture is through me or the Holy Spirit. It was read and understand what God has written. Does that mean that everything in the Bible is easy to read and understand. Unfortunately, no. If we looked at Peter, Peter's words to the believers in his time, second of Peter chapter three, there are clear and simple doctrines that are very easy to understand from God's word. We all can read God's word and find simple doctrines that God has in store. God's purpose with this earth, God's way of salvation that he offers to everyone, what we need to do in our life to please God. All of those are simple doctrines that everyone can read the Bible and understand. Doesn't mean everything that we read in the Bible is going to be easy. Peter, when writing to the believers, says in verse 15, he says, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. God's purpose and the reason that he's waited for so long to change anything in this world is because he wants people to be saved. That's what Peter's trying to say. He wants us to be saved and so God is waiting to help us to come to that salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you. Paul's told us about the salvation that Christ 
offers, that's offered in the Lord Jesus Christ, in our understanding of the scripture. However, he says, and also in his epistles, speaking of in them of these things, of the salvation of God, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. That word means to have contention with, from the word wrestle. They, they actually try and wrestle their own understanding and their own interpretation into what Paul said, because not all of it is easy to understand. And he says, if those that are unlearned and unstable change those things to suit themselves, as they do also with other scriptures, unto their own destruction. And we've seen some of those do it on purpose, do it deliberately, so that they can change the word of God for their own gain. Others do it because they just simply don't understand. And because they don't understand, and because they bring their own opinions to the Bible, that they change the word of God. They wrestle those scriptures into some meaning that is not intended. See, when we read the Bible, there's a few things that we need to understand. One of those is that the Bible was written for a particular purpose. The authors that wrote these letters, the Apostle Paul who wrote these letters to the believers, Peter who wrote this letter to the believers, all of the Old Testament prophets that, that gave the word of God, gave it for their purpose. And those that are unlearned and don't take that approach and bring their own meaning to the reading of the Bible have to change it to suit themselves. And it's really hard for us who are divorced in time from when these things were written, have a very different culture, particularly here in Australia, to what it was for most of the Jews or the, the Greeks that received this thousands of years ago, that we quite often bring our own interpretation and our own thoughts about how things should be done to the Bible. If we do that, we're not taking into account, we're unlearned, we're unstable, and we can change the meaning of the Bible to suit ourselves, to suit what makes us feel comfortable for our own culture and our own activity. We also need to understand that the Bible interprets itself, it is set in a context that that context needs to be understood from the verses, from the verses around that we're reading, and also that it needs to be consistent with the whole Bible message. And if we come to a verse and we, and we read it and we think that we know the interpretation and it doesn't fit with the context of the chapter, it doesn't fit with the intent of the writer of that particular passage in the Bible, and it doesn't fit with the harmony in, with all of the Bible doctrine then our interpretation is wrong. We fall into this category of being unlearned and unstable, and we're wrestling with these scriptures to try and make them fit our thoughts and not the other way around. The Lord Jesus Christ actually went one step further and spoke deliberately in parables. 
Come across to Matthew chapter 13. It puzzled the disciples greatly. The 12 disciples that were with the Lord Jesus Christ for those three and a half years, they listened to the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. They listened to these parables, these stories that he told, and they could not understand why the Lord Jesus Christ didn't just say really simply what he wanted people to hear. And they come to him in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 13, and it says, And the disciples came to him and said, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Why are you using parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. So this challenges us again in the fact that when we read the Bible, we have to come to the Bible with the right frame of mind. We have to come to the Bible willing to learn what it says. Willing to understand what God wants from us. Not with the desire to impose our own thoughts and our own interpretation onto the Bible, but actually to understand. And the Lord Jesus Christ spoke in parables because he was saying, if people are unwilling to understand, then they will not understand the mysteries of God. They will not understand what it is that God has in store for them. And the Jews of his time were deliberately ignorant. They didn't even want to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. They had no time for him, no time for his doctrines, and they said, we don't want to know. And so his challenge to us is that we need to come to the Bible willing to understand what it says. So we've looked at the fact that there is one truth. There's not many different interpretations. And if we have the wrong one, we're in the danger of missing out on the hope of God. We have looked at why there are so many divisions, why there are so many churches. And we've looked at that fundamental principle on how we can understand and challenge the doctrines that we hear and how we can actually read the Bible for ourselves if we come to it with the intent of understanding what it is that God wants. And using some of those things that we discussed in, in how we interpret the Bible, I wanted to look at one particular doctrine. A doctrine that is challenged by many different interpretations across Christianity. And that is the reward that God offers for the believers. If we come across to Matthew chapter 5, this chapter forms a part of what is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. We have the Lord Jesus Christ explaining to all of those that would listen what type of people would be accepted by God and that would come into the kingdom of God. And so he starts with this, this small section at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, commonly called the Beatitudes, a blessing on those that would listen, blessing on those that believe. And when we see in verse 2, he opened his mouth and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now many people, when they read that, 
read that blessed is theirs for they are going to go to heaven to be in a kingdom. That is the doctrine of many different churches. Does that fit the context that the Lord Jesus Christ is explaining? That he's telling those that would listen about. That he was explaining to these disciples that were sitting at his feet. Well, if we read verse 5, one of the next blessings is, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So when we read, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus Christ didn't mean it's a kingdom in heaven. In fact, he clearly says that the reward for those that are meek, those that follow and those that listen to me, is going to be on the earth. And in that, he is quoting from the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 37, that this is what's written in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it fits the context of the rest of the scripture that that reward for the followers will be on the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. And there's not two different rewards. We'll find that there's one reward for all believers. Does that fit the context of the wider message of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, in these chapters? Well, let's come across the page to Matthew chapter 6. The Lord's Prayer. Another extremely well-known part of the scripture, of the Bible, the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The prayer that we offer to God in heaven is that he will send his kingdom so that his will will be done in this earth. So we've got a kingdom, and it's of heaven. Why is it of heaven? Because it comes from God. It comes from heaven. It comes to the earth, and it is here, established on the earth, so that those that are meek, those that believe in God, will be accepted into that kingdom and do his will on earth. So we've seen that the context of the verse that we read in Matthew chapter 5, the reward for the believers that Jesus offers, and the context of the chapters surrounding it show that the reward for those that believe is on the earth, in God's kingdom. Does that fit in harmony with the rest of the Bible? I couldn't fit all of the scripture on there that show that this is harmony all the way through the Bible. If we start in Genesis and we look at Abraham and we look at the promises made to him and go all the way through the scripture, right from the very beginning, all the way through to Revelation, we will see a very consistent message that the reward for the faithful, the reward for believers in Christ is on this earth. The purpose of God in Numbers 14 and verse 21 says, as truly as I live, I will fill the earth with my glory. Fill the earth with God's glory. Psalm 37, we said this is what the Lord Jesus quotes from in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 11, the meek shall inherit the earth. In Revelation 5 verse 10, the very end of the Bible, the prayer of 
all of those that have been accepted into God's kingdom, the praising of the Lord Jesus Christ in that time says, blessed are you for you have made us kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Come across to Romans chapter 4. Mentioned Abraham. And following this from the promises, right? Gave in Genesis all the way through these promises to Abraham. Abraham who was called the father of all the faithful. All of those that would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Romans chapter 4 of Abraham because of his faith, because of his belief it says in verse 11 he received the sign of circumcision that is Abraham received this sign a seal of the righteousness of faith which he had yet being uncircumcised that he might be father of all of them that believe Abraham is related to all of those that believe though they be not circumcised that righteousness might be imputed unto them also and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham which he had being uncircumcised Paul is saying if you actually walk in the same faith that Abraham had in God in the promises that God has given in his Bible you will be part of this group of people called the faithful you'll be related to Abraham and in verse 13 for the promise that he Abraham should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith he's saying Abraham was promised to be the heir of the world and not just Abraham but those that believe as well through righteousness that is given by God that is through faith through our belief we are actually part of being heirs of the world Galatians 3 says we do that by being baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ we become heirs of the same promise as Abraham and you don't have to go too far in Luke chapter 1 in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ where it is explained to Mary that Jesus would be king over the earth on the throne of his father David, established in Jerusalem. We can go to Isaiah chapter 9, Psalm 72, the whole of the chapter. All of those things, in perfect harmony across the whole Bible, says that the reward for the faithful that God offers is a place in his kingdom on this earth. Something you can test by going home and reading the scriptures. Something that is different to almost all of the denominations that profess to be believers in the Bible. So what's the conclusion? There is only one truth. It is vital for us to understand that one truth. How many times did Peter and Paul say that the change in the gospel of Christ brings destruction. Not only those that deliberately did it, but on the people that heard and didn't understand. We need to understand what the truth of the Bible is. Our test for that, our test for every doctrine that we hear, 
is testing it for ourselves by reading God's word, by reading the Bible. And we encourage and we challenge you to do the same. Don't just believe what I have said. Go and test it. Go and search the scripture for yourselves. For that's the example that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us. That's the example that Paul used. It's the example that we have been clearly drawn to. That we each can read and test for ourselves the doctrines that we hear by the word of God that's given to us. It's only by doing that for ourselves that we will know the right way to please God and the right way to achieve salvation. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.